I love, love makes the world go round. That's like your grandma and grandpa there, you know. You think about that kind of weird stuff. So, um, love makes the world go round. Well, we're talking about love here today and some other things. So, let's go to the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, starting in verse 10. So, if you want to keep that in front of you on your phone or whatever, we're in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past. Ha! The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. And the fig tree puts out its figs, puts forth its frigs, and the vines are in blossom. And they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, in the cliffs of the rock, in the covert of the cliff, let me see your face and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch us the little foxes, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Uh, What makes the world go round? Love. Love makes the world go round. Yes, it does. It does indeed. We are made of the stuff of love. Quite literally. Now, I know it's St. Valentine's Day, and the correct answer to the question, what makes the world go around, is love. But that old threadbare word, love, is not what I really want to teach about on this fine, crisp Sunday morning. No, as a Christian, I choose a different word to answer what makes the world go around, and that word would be sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's like love, but even more so. Sacrifice makes the world go around. But more on sacrifice in a moment. First, let's talk about the Song of Solomon. Oh man, the poor old Song of Songs, Song of Solomon in the Bible. It gets little time in the pulpit, and not just now, but pretty much for the last 1,500 years, nobody knows what to do with the Song of Songs, as it's sometimes called. Matter of fact, somebody came up to me after first service and said, like, your, your sermon on the Song of Solomon was the best one I've only heard, and I've never heard one until today. So, well, that could mean also it's your worst one you've ever heard, so you can score on both of them. Nobody talks about the Song of Solomon. What is the Song of Songs? Is it poetry? Is it a drama, a script for a play? Is it a a classic ancient Near East wisdom literature piece? Is it a metaphor for God's love for the world? Is it an allegory? Is is the Song of Songs then, is it just a raw, hot, and steamy, erotic, perfumed romp? Is it a simple love letter? Is it a legal document between King Solomon and Pharaoh's daughter? What is it doing in the Bible? We're not the first to ask this question. First instance Around 1530, at the beginning of the Reformation, 16th century, around 1530, the reformer, Sebastian Castillo, thought the Song of Solomon should be thrown out of the canon of Scripture because it spoke of, quote, explicit human love. Castillo was forced to leave Geneva after arguing with John Calvin over the canonicity of the Song of Songs because apparently Calvin thought it should remain but not Castillo. 
Other reformers followed Castillo, and they all thought that perhaps the Song of Songs was just too much for the Bible, and what is it doing there? But ancient scholars reasoned that the Song of Songs belongs in the Bible for the reason is that for a very, very long time, nobody wanted to throw it out. How's that for a rationale? If the Song of Songs is about love, then that sounds about as normal as it gets. It's just normal. It's about normal life. The song celebrates normal and living and being human. As one Old Testament scholar uh, proclaimed, he said, the song is a celebration of the nature of humanity. Male and female created in God's image for mutual support and enjoyment. It's a celebration of the nature of humanity. I have a bit more to say about the Song of Songs before we take things to a different level, getting back to sacrifice. But compare, compare the song to other ancient love, love poems in the Near East, because there were others. And the Song of Songs is unique because the young woman, the young woman is equal with the young man. That's unusual. Other ancient texts, Egyptian, Babylonian, Akkadian, they have the female coerced or subjugated into sex. Other ancient Near East love poems of this sort use wine or beer, if you're outside of Israel, to seduce a naive or an unwilling girl in the story. But not so in the Bible's Song of Songs. They are two equal, powerful people. Instead, the two lovers chase and run and explore and embrace equally human and unencumbered, chasing the little foxes. Their love is as it should be by God's design. There is the, the immediate echo of Genesis right here, Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The equality of humanity. Listen to the simple beauty of what makes the world go round. Let me see your face, the song says. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. The song's message is really quite clear. It is enough to find someone to be together. It is enough to do things together, chasing the foxes. To make a home, to tear out carpet together, to paint the hallway all night long, to garden, to make the flower beds, to cook and eat dinner together, to sleep together. It is enough just to have the privilege of making a life together, and we call it love. The Song of Songs calls it poetry, and God just simply calls it living. Now, one more thing. Let's talk about homosexuality. So here's what I want you to do. And I'm, I'm absolutely, this is not just an, uh, a nice notion. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your glasses. If you have reading glasses, that's good. I want you to take off your glasses 
I, you guys in the room are not doing this. I'm, I'm, we're not leaving until everybody does this. You're going to take your glasses off, and you're going to trade and give them to somebody maybe without glasses who doesn't wear glasses. Or you're going to take your reading glasses, and you're going to put them over your contacts or whatever, and you're all going to look at me. And you're going to look at me, and you're going to say to the friend that you just borrowed their glasses. You hope you guys are doing this at home. Trade the glasses. Get the kids' glasses on. Put your reading glasses on. Look at me, and look at the television screen. Yes, it's over there. And you're going to say, you are blind. How can you ever see? That is ridiculous. What kind of prescription do you have with those Coke bottles? You don't see as you usually do. You can trade the glasses back now. It's all cool. Put them back on. Yeah, you're going to say you're blind. I don't know how you see that way. I guess. I guess it matters that we're all wearing our own prescription. My prescription comes from the Song of Solomon. Where'd you get your prescription? And that's all I have to say about homosexuality this morning. What makes the world go round? Love. But what if one of us, in the man-woman equation, what if one of us is not a man or a woman? What if one of us is God? Now what do we have? Is it love if one of the two is God, and one of us is. Well, this is what love would look like. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who thought, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2. That's what love looks like. It is a love that looks like God's sacrifice for us. And there is no greater love. It's a self-emptying sacrifice. It's a change in God's identity. A change in nature that God becomes one of us. That is love between God and humans. That's how it's different than human love. This is how God loves you. This is how this is the God who comes to us to be with us as one of us. And that's why sacrifice makes the world go round. Fail to understand this about God, and you end up making God out to be some old curmudgeon who's yelling at the kids in the neighborhood to get off his lawn. Or if he's not a curmudgeon, then you make him out to be some sort of mamsy pamsy nothing, some mythical uh metaphysical, you know, ontic myth. And we are left without God in this world to a dog-eat-dog world, all clamoring for power and dignity. But with a God who empties himself, we now have the freedom to forgive others and see others as, li- as we are to ourselves. We love others with the same love that we love ourselves, with forgiveness. 
And if we're free to forgive and we're free to live, then we're free to run and catch the little foxes. Imagine the whole world as the Song of Songs. Many years ago, I read about uh, a Harvard professor who was studying how different people get along because he did not think that all of the practices and the theories about how to make different races and different ethnicities, he didn't think that any of the present ideas were working very well. Professor Todd Pitnitsky was seeking a different method to understand race relations, prejudice, xenophobia, and conflict studies. Pitinsky found that mere tolerance is inherently unstable. Tolerance doesn't work, he means. Patinsky studied the ethnic cleansings of the genocides of Bosnia and Rwanda during the early 1990s. And he found that years of tolerance, quotey fingers, did not address the long-term hatred that was seething long-term under the polite face of tolerance. Truces don't work. Patinsky found a new tool for addressing prejudice. Allophilia. Allophilia. Allophilia is the liking for other groups and the behavior it inspires. The liking for other groups and the behavior it inspires. Allophilia has a positive view of other groups. It is not tolerance. It's actually liking another culture or another person of color or another person of race or just somebody from some other part of the country. It's a genuine liking their culture and who they are. I've been thinking about Alophilia ever since uh, um, the inauguration and then the Super Bowl because Um, I've been thinking about this ever since the young poet Amanda Gorman recited her poem at the Super Bowl and, of course, the inauguration before that. Amanda Gorman was the first person to be named the National Youth Poet Laureate. But what struck me, just speaking as an old white guy, what struck me was her exquisite hair. It was beautiful and striking and complicated and dramatic She wore it like an artist. And then she had this yellow coat that was astounding. I don't know where she got it. And then her Super Bowl coat was also astounding. Everything about her was powerful and impeccable. It was beyond a beauty. It was was, was as though her whole voice and demeanor was saying, I am not one to be trifled with. And I've been thinking about allophilia since I saw that. You need to know that I was raised in a racist home, a very racist home. Many years ago, when I was in my 20s, I was reading a James Michener book, the only James Michener book I've ever read. He wrote historical fiction, basically. And it was a book called Caribbean. And it was set back in the colonial days, the days of pirates and slavery and sugar plantations. And one of the characters was the wife of a British plantation manager. And she had spent many months living amongst the slaves on the plantation in the Caribbean as a young white aristocratic woman. 
But she got on a boat and she returned to London. And when she got to London, she said, Upon returning, I was struck by how white everyone looked, how pale and plain everyone appeared to me after living amongst so many colorful people in the islands. And that was my first moment, having been raised racist, my first allophilia moment. My attitude toward people of color changed and began to change as I began to rethink, what is beautiful skin? And I began to think of how the depth and color of people of color are. Allophilia. Love makes the world go round. God's sacrifice makes the world forgive each other. We are all born to the same mother and father. Amen? And may the song of songs then guide us. So, let's see. I've talked about sex. I've talked about being naked. I've talked about homosexuality. I've talked about genocide and racism and something weird called allophilia. That about covers it. I'm finished, and I think I'm done. Amen.